This week on One on One. I can look at them all right now and go, why would you go anywhere else? This is a great basketball conference with great coaches and great pros want to be the best, play against the best. Over the last half decade, Bruce Pearl has guided the Auburn basketball program from obscurity back to national prominence. And as a result of the last three or four years of success and winning championships and guys getting drafted, you can stay close to home and be great. Pearl also details the Southeastern Conference's growth on the hardwood. It started with Mike Slive and it finished with Greg Sankey. You've got all these schools in the SEC that have invested in facilities, in coaches, and as a result, you're seeing the SEC dominate. Plus, and it's over! I absolutely can coach guys to some wins, but we can't win championships. Players win championships. Players do that, Kevin. They do. Now, here's Kevin. Super pleased to welcome on the Auburn head men's basketball coach. It's BP, the uh, the bearded wonder these days, Bruce Pearl. You are <laughs> you are kind to take some time out. I was looking forward to to having you on. Art, you know, Bruce, you know all this that I'm about to outline here. 600 wins to your name, National Coach of the Year recognition. You've taken Auburn to unprecedented heights. It's been really neat to watch over the years. And our relationship, it it stretches, you know, all the way back to uh, 2017. We met for the first time at the Charleston Classic when Auburn was there. So, you know, I really appreciate and, and admire your your enthusiasm, your energy and and passion for, you know, not just your team, but for your players, the community, for for, for college hoops and college sports in general. So I, I know you're, you're, you're looking relaxed and refreshed these days at the lake house. So I appreciate you taking out some time to join us. Yeah, Kevin, great to be with you. Uh, you know, God's got a sense of humor and a plan. And uh, my career is probably a, 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 a lot of the above. Um, I am just feel so blessed that, uh, that Jay Jacobs, our former athletic director at Auburn, uh, had confidence to, to, to get me back into coaching uh, after I lost my job at Tennessee. And, uh, and I'm glad that Alan Green, who is my athletic director now, decided to keep me. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful run. Uh, Auburn's a great place. It's a great fit. Um, you know, it, it's a school where if kids want to go, like, roll up their sleeves and work really hard – have some fun while they're doing it, but try to become an Olympian or an NBA player or a great engineer. Uh, man, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful place. I, I tell people our greatest asset are the students that decide they want to go to school here. I get to put my kids around them. It's just like the culture in your locker room. When we recruit, I get to bring guys in and say, look, you guys need to get to know who these guys are and how hard they work and what they're all about because I think it can help you maybe become even better or the same thing with my coaching staff. You know, my coaching staff has been with me almost my entire time. I've had very little movement. Uh, I'm glad about that. That means these guys and their families are happy in the work and they're happy in our ministry. Well, and the one thing that stands out to me from everything you just outlined there is just the hard work thing. So let's just look back to last week. It's another successful week for, for Auburn hoops for the SEC in general too. We'll get to that later, but here we go. Uh, another two players drafted out of Auburn. That's Sharif Cooper. That's JT Thor. So the representation is there at the NBA draft. It's really notable. So here, here are my numbers I'm going to start out with. You know me and my, my numbers and my calculations here. I'm a number so, guy, too. I like it. That's one thing we know. Look at the last three drafts. Players drafted out of Auburn. There's been four. And that's really that's, – that's pretty significant. But 
the prior 25 drafts before that, I may even open it up to you. Take a guess how many players were drafted out of Auburn. I think probably one in the last 25 years prior to our getting here, one or two. The same exact number, four, which, which four, is incredible. Wow. That's, uh, you know, yeah. so four over the last three years, four in the prior 25. I mean, for you, how fulfilling, how gratifying is that to basically see, you know, we're talking next level players want to come to Auburn, put in the work, which is a major factor here, and then basically achieve those dreams. Well, listen, we've got the best record in the SEC in the last four years. We've won more games than any other club in the SEC in the last four years. We got more, we got the best road record. Everybody talks about the jungle and what a great place Auburn is to play and how tough it is to get out here with a win. And they're absolutely right. But I think we're 45 and seven uh, uh, in the non-conference. Okay. Uh, and we have always played a really tough non-conference schedule. So it's because we've had good players. <laughs> it's, it's because we've had good players. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, as a coach, I absolutely can coach guys to some wins. I absolutely can. Coaches can we, – we, we can win some games, but we can't win championships. We can't. Players win championships. And so for us to have won a regular season championship, uh, an SEC tournament championship the, the following year after that, to get to the final four, which basically meant we won the Midwest Regional Championship, uh, players do that, Kevin. They do. And uh, get, recruit good kids that want to work really hard, that want to be coached. Um, and that's the formula for success. I, I got to say, though, the, the chrome dazzling bow tie that, what was it, Sharif? Was he wearing that at, the, at his draft party last week? Will we, will we see that as part of your record sometime soon? Hey, let me tell you something. Sharif's got like over a million followers on Instagram. Like if, his, if he was still at Auburn, his NIL numbers would be through the roof. Um, <laughs> But he's, I'll tell you what, Sharif and his family had it figured out a long time ago about how to build his platform and build his brand. And you know, the great thing about that is he's a great kid and he will use his platform in a way to communicate uh, in, a, in a really positive way, not just through his fashion uh, and his ability to play basketball. You know, Kevin, I can remember one time when during the fall, Last year, when we were going through all that public social unrest in our country, we were having a lot of conversations in our locker room about what are we going to do at Auburn? Um, we want to be involved in this. Uh, and so we created a sort of the Together We Will program, and we worked really hard to raise money for scholarships for, uh, for students that come from backgrounds that are more difficult to, uh, to get into places like Auburn and afford a place like Auburn. And so we went about the work more than we did the protest. But one of the things that Sharif said in a student, uh, uh, an open student forum, he said, you know, I just, I know you see me as Sharif Cooper's the basketball player. I know you can't help look at me, but recognize, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm black in case any of you haven't noticed. But he said, I went to McEachern in high school, which was one of the best high schools, prep, preparatory high schools in the state of Georgia. And he said, I, you know, I was a really good student also. And, it, and he said, I just would like to also be looked at as a student athlete, not just as an athlete or just because I have a million followers on Twitter and Instagram. So I think Sharif is going to use his platform to try to communicate to his followers, hey, this is possible for you, not just in basketball, but in other walks of life, this country is the land of opportunity. Take advantage of it. 
Do you feel that that is part of this as we kind of look back at this era of Auburn hoops? I mean, the successes are there, the, the three straight 25-win seasons, the final four, the championships, that type of player, the, the, the Sharif Cooper, not just from the talent standpoint, but just the, the, the way they carry themselves, the character off the court. I mean, I, it's not just Sharif. I think we saw that in Jared Harper and Bryce Brown and, and Chumo Kiki, Isaac Okoro. <laughs> And Samir Doughty at the Final Four, you know, when we got questions about, you know, a, a double dribble not being called or fouling a shooter or things like that, Samir handled it like a champion. He yeah. gave the opponent credit. He did not blame the officials. There are lots of calls in the course of a ball game. I think there are two things. When people ask me, what would you do at Auburn? The number one thing I did, this brand says pray first. The number one thing I did, Kevin, was I just brought God into our locker room and said, just give a chance to bless you. That's all. You can do all the right things and not be blessed. That, that can happen. But give them a chance to bless you by how you train, by how you treat people, by how you approach your academics. And then that's all we've done is go about that business. Now, the fact that we've graduated more players than anybody else in the league in the last seven years yeah, I think that's a factor. The fact that our APR, our academic performance rating, has been a 1,000, which is perfect, for like four of the last five years, I do think that's giving the process a chance to work by recognizing that, look, I'm going to hold these guys accountable in the classroom, on the, in the, on the court, and in the community. And, uh, and the results, I think, as the results will take care of themselves. And they have. Then, then what are the other examples then of, of that process? Because I, I like how you phrased it the last couple of years. It's almost like the scoreboard when, when a team is winning. You, Auburn is uh, basically, for the first time, has been able to use that and say, hey, you can't really describe us as the program that is holding a conference back. That narrative has shifted. You said yeah. it's, it's obviously based on the work that the players are putting in. What are the just examples of that that you have seen the last few years? Well, Kevin, what I would say is, is, is I want to be very consistent and I want to be honest. So when I first got to Auburn, I was going and talking to prospects and recruiting and saying, I have not given nor have Auburn basketball given you any reason to come here to think you could be a pro and win championships. We're not there yet. We're not even close. OK, so you either make a choice. And, 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 give, and give us a chance to prove it or actually be the first ones to do it yourself. I'm talking about Austin Wiley from Birmingham. who could have gone anywhere in the country. Austin Wiley came here. Doesn't get near enough credit for Auburn basketball being where it is today. Jared Harper, you know, Bryce Brown, Anthony McLemore, all those guys that came here on a promise to be the first ones to do it. And the rest of those guys followed. I used to go to the best players in Alabama and Georgia which is where we do a great deal of our recruiting. Most of the guys that have been here have been within five or six miles of our campus. And I, I couldn't say to them, look, you, you, you need to go somewhere else because we've got no tracker to getting you. I can look at them all right now and go, why would you go anywhere else? Why do you need to travel to another conference? This is a great basketball conference with great coaches and great pros. Want to be the best? Play against the best. And, and as a result of the last three or four years of success and guys and winning championships, guys graduating and guys getting drafted 
and then having the best home court advantage. And oh, by the way, playing the schedule that we play and being invited to Maui or battle for Atlantis and all these different things, you can stay close to home and be great. And that's a, that's a really cool thing. So it's that buy-in and you, you answer one of my questions. How do you get buy-in? But, but as it pertains to that, I mean, how challenging was it or the difficulty of it to get that buy-in and to build this from the, you know, the regional national standpoint, what was it like those early years to now? Kevin, if it, it was easy to do it. Anybody could do it. It wasn't easy. So you put it on the players and the coaching staff and recognize that it's not easy. Let me tell you something. Auburn basketball has been sold out. You can't buy a season ticket since the day I got here. That means the Auburn fans, it wasn't, you know, the chicken, the egg, which one you got, you got to win first and then they show up, which is the way it is at most places at most places. Okay. Stop winning. They're going to stop coming at Auburn. They were selling out the building when we weren't any good. We were playing hard. They saw some young promising talent, but we were losing at first. Now now they're seeing great basketball. We're winning our share. And so, uh, you know, getting that support uh, is, is, uh, is important. I, I like to say at Auburn, we're kind of an everything school. Yes, we're a football school. We're a softball school. We're a golf school. We're a gymnastic school. How about SUNY Lee? The Olympics school, the right? Olympic, yeah. The all-around, you know, she, 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 she was the all-around world's greatest. Here's what's going to happen. I love this tweet. So my son sent this out. And he retweeted something. He said, she'll come into the SEC next year and she'll be preseason all second team. That's the way, that's the way they treat us sometimes at all. That's why you guys in the media treat us. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You got me rolling now. Chuma Okiki wasn't a first or second team all SEC player, but he was good enough to go 16 to the Orlando Magic. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Time out. Isaac Cora wasn't first team all league. No, no, but, but he was good enough to go five to Cleveland. And, and my coaching staff, we've never been voted as the coaching staff of the year in the league. Never. No, no, never. And that's okay. That's okay. Just shut up. Scoreboard. Scoreboard. It, it all comes full circle. And this is just perfect because our, our mutual friend here, Dane Bradshaw, your former player, he says it all the time. I mean, there's not many who can motivate and push like Bruce Pearl can. So you've got that reputation. How much do you thrive off of that? I would say, number one, everything you just laid out where it's like, hey, we, we may be underappreciated, underrated, if you will, but we're still going to, we're going to achieve the success that we want. How much do you thrive off of that as like a, a motivator, which I think comes natural to you? You know, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, I've always been an underdog, you know, always been an underdog. Um, you know, when I was 14 years old, I literally had a career ending knee injury. I was the best athlete in town. And then, you know, God had a different plan for me and, you know, I continued to play, but I wasn't nearly, nearly as good or as dominant. And I could have, uh, you know, and, and, and look from that point forward and, and many other, uh, you know, I, I, it's, I didn't have a silver spoon. I was a, I was not a blue blood. Um, but I live in the greatest country in America, you know, where, where if you work hard and, and, and get a few breaks, anything is, any, anything is possible. Um, you know, uh, J- uh, John Shire, when he becomes the head coach at Duke next year, Josh Pastner, the head coach at Georgia Tech, and Bruce Pearl are the only three Jewish head basketball coaches in, pro- in Power Five. Um, that means it's not easy. It's not easy to get there. It's not easy to stay there. 
So we've always had to overcome those things. But because this, because this country has provided religious freedoms to me and to my family, I'm able to be here in the South and practice my religion and practice my faith and, and be able to do so freely. I mean, I'm grateful to our country. That doesn't mean we can't get better and we shouldn't get better. That doesn't mean that people don't have tremendous advantages in getting to where they want to go. And there are the many that are disadvantaged. Let's keep working on making that better. So that, so that, and that, that's my underdog thing. And that's where my, maybe my motivation, I'm going to take advantage of God's blessing to the best of my ability. That's all. And I'm going to try to get everybody else around me to do the same. And, and we also are going to recognize who the opponent is. So often, Kevin, the opponent is in your own locker room. It's on your own staff. It's from within. And, and, and we root that out. We, we, there's an elephant in the room. I'm calling it out. And if there's cancer, guess what? The best way to beat cancer is to detect it and to treat it early, okay? If you've got cancer in your locker room, on your college campus, in your community, and you don't call that out and you don't begin to treat it with, with chemotherapy, with radiation, or with surgery, or with medicine, it's going to metastasize, it's going to get bigger, it's going to get grow. Now, all of a sudden, it's going to be terminal, which brings me to our Outlive program. The best way to beat cancer and to outlive cancer is detected early, so go get checked. Everybody go get checked. That's the same thing we're doing in our locker room. Let's check each other. Let's hold each other accountable, and let's make sure we're on the same team. Yeah, the, the passion you have for the Outlive thing, is, is it's incredible. I mean, it really is inspiring, no question, because you bring up a good point there. You, you, you worded it as, hey, I, I really view myself as an underdog. One of, the, one of our great colleagues and, and best writers out there who covers our sport, you know, Dana O'Neill, she did a story on you. I think at this point it was probably last year where you said to her, I, I worked hard to get here. Sometimes I, uh, this, I wasn't supposed to be here. And, and you just went into the reasons why that's important to you. What other factors people have most, maybe even like non-basketball related, have shaped you or molded you to this point? Yeah, you know, obviously my family, my wife, um, you know, uh, my ministers and rabbis, people that have, you know, have poured into me uh, have helped me grow in, 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 in lots of different ways. Um, I had a great teacher. Look, if Kevin, you're good at what you do. You had a pretty good mentor along the way. Okay, the great ones always do. Dr. Tom Davis was my mentor. He was a great basketball coach at Boston College, Lafayette, Boston College, Stanford, Iowa, Drake. Uh, I learned from him. And uh, if you want to pay me a compliment, tell me my teams look a little bit like the way Dr. Tom's teams used to play. And so you got to have a great teacher and then you've got to be a good enough student to learn. And then I think the other thing, then surround yourself with great people. It's, 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 it's said oftentimes, I've got a great staff. Like I will tell in a recruiting presentation, if there are 14 coaches and head coaches in the SEC, I will say to them, you know what, I'm, as your head coach, I'm somewhere in the middle. You know, there are probably seven or eight coaches better than me. There are probably six, seven coaches. I might be, I, whatever. But I got the best coaching staff in the country. I'm giving my staff the credit. It's not above anybody. You know what I'm saying? In the sense that, and I believe in that, the, the way we uh, listen and challenge each other and work. Look, we've been spreading it and shooting it and playing fast for a long, long time. You know, just to, just because the NBA now finally figured out the three's worth more than the two, you know, that, that's not my fault. We've been playing that way forever. But 
but I, I do think that, and I also think that we we'll try to grow and stay on top of, of the way uh, the league is, is, uh, is the, uh, the way college basketball is going, the direction is going. And how about this? I would say this, and this is not a criticism of any other conference. It's, it's more of our, you tell me a conference in America college that's got better college, a collection of college basketball coaches than our, than our league. Now that well, that always wasn't the case, but I'm telling you, you look at our roster, there isn't one better. There, there just isn't one better. So I'm not trying to criticize anybody else. Um, but those are the kind of things I think having the right style of play, having the right staff, getting the right personnel, um, and uh, putting it all together. I think that's been the key. You lead me to a great point. There's plenty of evidence to back up the, the assertion you just made when it comes to, hey, SEC basketball. And, hey, let's look at our backgrounds real quick. You've, you're from Boston. I'm from New Jersey. I mean, heck, the, there were a lot of times in my life it was like, we got, you want to watch that Big East game or you want to watch that ACC game. or you, you know, like th- That was where the talent was. So here's part two of my numbers game here. I, you know, I, I was looking at this the other day. I mean, the, the number of players taken out of the SEC in general the last few years has completely grown. Seven in the first round this past year, 36 over the last three drafts. That's 12 a year. That's, that's really significant. You look at 2013 to 2017, 20 players out of the SEC drafted in the first round, 13 from Kentucky in balance. Just, you, you, there's totally some imbalance there. You look at the last four drafts, 24 taken in the first round, higher number, number one. 16 were taken from schools not named Kentucky. And that's no dig or, or a poke at Kentucky, but there's clearly the, the talent is spread. And there, it's elite talent, talent that's going to the next level, which is great. That's exciting for the conference. I want to ask you, because you, you have a great story and perspective on the last – seven, eight years. How did we go from that to, to this point where we are now? How did it change from your perspective? That's a great question. Um, it started with Mike Slive and it finished with Greg Sankey. Um, when I was at Tennessee, it was, it was Kentucky and Florida because Billy Donovan was at Florida and then everybody else. Um, and I had said to Mr. Slive, I said, you know, what makes the ACC or the Big East the greatest basketball conferences in the country. And the answer wasn't just Duke and North Carolina. It was what they were doing at Wake Forest or what Gary was doing at Maryland or what, uh, uh, what they were doing at Georgia Tech or, you know, it was the depth and breadth. It wasn't just Villanova and Georgetown. It was, you know, 10 teams in the Big East. I said, Commissioner Slive, you're never going to have a great basketball conference until it becomes more than just Kentucky and Billy Donovan. I'm not saying, look, I didn't change anything. That was my opinion. I expressed it to him. But I think Mike Slive realized that. To your point, when when it's more than just Kentucky and you've got all these schools in the SEC that have invested in facilities, they've invested in coaches, uh, they've invested in their staffs now, okay? Uh, The SEC network has had a lot to do. And our partnership with ESPN um, has had a lot to do with the quality of SEC basketball. The improvement of the officiating is, is, is also, you know, run hand in hand. Um, you know, and even maybe geographically, if you look now at, at, at Texas being one of the SEC states with Texas A&M being in a partner and, and, and if Texas is coming in, 
And then you look at Atlanta and Georgia and that market right there, you know, those two markets are, are two of the biggest markets, you know, and then, you know, Florida, I, there's a lot of really good States in our, in our footprint where the, where the best high school players are residing in football and basketball and many, many other sports, baseball. And, and as a result, you're seeing the SEC dominate. I mean, the SEC is not just the best conference in the country in all sports, it's the best by a long shot. You mentioned Texas. Oh, heck, you've got you guys have Oklahoma on the schedule this year. Is that a I say this in jest? Is that a conference game this year, or is it the Big Twelve SEC Challenge? Again, half kiddingly, we'll wait and see. But on this subject that that we just steered towards, I, I'm not not so much want your initial reaction to things over the last couple of weeks, but like Oklahoma and Texas soon to join the SEC. The murky question is when that'll all get sorted out. Your vision or thought of what this could do seismically to college basketball and sports, what do you think? Look, uh, Greg Sankey is our commissioner. And you'll, you know, people think, well, I'm blowing smoke up his butt by saying this. He's smarter than anybody else that's doing this, okay? And he's, and he, and he's ahead of the game. Um, the hardest guy that he had to replace when he became the commissioner was himself because together he and Mike Slive, what an incredible, what an incredible team they are. And he's got, Greg's got great people at the SEC office around him as well. Now um, I trust him, I, Kevin, I can't figure it all out. I don't know if it's good for college athletics that Texas and Oklahoma are coming in. I don't know if it's good for the SEC. I'm really not in a position to be able to say, um, but he is. And I trust him. And so if, if he thinks that this is the right thing uh, and, and, and good for the direction that everything's going in, I'm all in and I'm, I, and I'll, and I, I will make it, you know, we'll make it work. Um, it's two huge brands. It ex, you know, expands our recruiting footprint, obviously the resources, television, all the exposure, everything that goes with it. Uh, you know, in this country, you know, big is sometimes better. The rich get richer, all those different things. Um, the, the, the renewal of some great rivalries. Um, I'm a, I'm an old school guy. I, I, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry to see the Oklahoma, Oklahoma state rivalry get changed. You know, I hope those teams continue to play each other. If Oklahoma comes into our conference, I hope that that continues to become look, whatever happens, Oklahoma is always going to play Oklahoma state, you know, or Texas is always going to play Texas tech or Baylor. I mean, I'd love them to be able to figure out a way to keep that. If we got in a different conference in Alabama, you know, we try to continue to play you know, Alabama or Ole Miss or Georgia. So anyways, I think it's a good thing because our commissioner thinks it's a good thing. It's evolution and evolution's undefeated and everybody has to adjust to it. Let, let's do this. Minneapolis, 2019, Final Four. Let's, let's go back to that real quick. There was this exciting run, you know, incredible finish to that year. The path to the Final Four was really neat. There's this neat footnote in history where you beat, you know, North Carolina, Kansas, Kentucky, and route to the Final Four, rallying around Chuma's injury. Chumo Kiki, you know, obviously is with the Magic now. What is a moment from that run or afterward or leading up to it where you just still get this kind of emotional pride from it? Not necessarily right after a win, cutting down the nets, but what is a story, a moment that you still think back to? And it just, maybe it gets you emotional or prideful. What is it? 
Well, I mean, I, I think it has to do more with family um, and all the players and coaches um, that I've worked with. Um, you know, it was uh, Auburn was the first program in the state of Alabama to ever get to a Final Four. So you think about Wimp Sanderson or Sonny Smith or Cliff Ellis or Gene Bartow. I don't think those guys are hating on me uh, because we helped bring Auburn there. I represent them and the work that they've done for all those years um, to finally get an Alabama team to get to the Final Four um, and actually, you know, win a regional championship to get there. Um, I think about my players and coaches that have that have played for me. I represent all of them, all the universities that I've worked for. I represent all of them. I'm, I, I'm their coach or their former coach. Um, and then, and then, and then, finally, just just my family and uh, the fact that you know you can accomplish anything, Kevin, as long as you get family with you. And um, it's been it's been a wonderful ride in the sense that you know I never I grew up in Boston, never thought I'd leave. I'm a huge Patriots fan. Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, those are all my pro teams, and that never left me when I moved. But since the time I was 21 years old, and I went from Boston College to Stanford all the way across the country with Dr. Tom Davis. And then we were there for four years and went to the University of Iowa in the middle of our nation. And then I became a head coach and I went to Indiana for nine years and then Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And then, and then, and then the, the, I got the break and I went to Tennessee and now Auburn, Alabama. It was hard to pick up family every time and move them across the country. So getting to the Final Four, which is, you know, for me, other than the national championship, which I won at Division II level, uh, it's the peak of your, your, you know, uh, of the accomplishment. And I owe it all to my family who had to put up with me and support me um, and let me be a father to all those kids that I coached, which obviously took a lot of time away from my family. Yeah. I, I can't imagine how much pride it, it obviously brings to you. So, all right, how about this one? It's it's the trendy topic. Everybody wants to talk about it. It's it's been the topic all summer, and the transfer rule. It's obviously been altered. Uh, you know, we're seeing for the first time there is the one-time exception to the rule where a player, when he or she transfers, every sport is allowed to play immediately. Obviously, in the past, and it was trending to this point, you'd have to sit out, and a little bit of less of that the, the last couple of years. But you said this not not too long ago. You're not a fan of it. But you're going to participate in it. I think it goes back to what we were just saying. I mean, you you may not like a change, but you you got to evolve and adjust and so on and so forth in whatever industry you're in. I would argue there's almost as many examples of player A who maybe is not getting the playing time he or she wants, you know, or the opportunities, but sticks it out, goes on to achieve success. There might be the same number of players maybe that do transfer and achieve the success. Success isn't linear. There's many paths to it. But here's my question then, because that's a delicate balance. Like, how will you effectively manage that and guide a player through those decisions when you have the chance to? Like, what's the way to do it effectively now? Well, look, I want what's best for our student athletes. Uh, I've had very few players transfer over the course of my career. Um, and uh, because we try to create an environment where they can be successful. I try not to over-recruit. So, for example, I got 11 guys on scholarship right now, not 13, because I don't know that I could keep 11. I don't want to say keeping them happy, but look, if I got 11 guys on scholarship, two or three of them aren't going to play nearly as much as they want to. 
Uh, if I had if I had 13, four or five wouldn't play nearly as much uh, as they want to. Um, I have seen more kids stick and have success than flee uh, and find greater success. But look, as I detailed my path, I had a transfer, I had to leave, um, but it wasn't easy. Um, and I know there were some that said, well, if coaches can leave without a penalty, why shouldn't the players? Well, there aren't 1,700 coaches in the transfer portal. And of the coaches that did decide to transfer, the vast majority of us transferred because we got a new job. Uh, we didn't, we, you know, there are a lot of kids in a transfer portal that aren't going to be on scholarship. What about all those guys? Um, you know, again, if the rules here, uh, I, 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 and, and, and we benefited from it at Auburn. I got four wonderful kids that have transferred in and, and I'm glad they don't have to sit out. Um, you know, but I, I do think that it, 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 it is going to make kids look to leave rather than trying to look to find a way to make it better for themselves, work at it and have some patience. Um, so anyways, that, that's, that's, that is it. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Um, there's going to have to be some adjustments to the graduation situation. It's going to make it a little harder for kids to graduate because a lot of times kids are going to transfer from a school and they've got all these hours in this major. And then all of a sudden they go to this other school and wow, they lose about half their credits. That was, there are some kind there are some things that they hadn't, you know, thought all the way through, but we'll get there. We'll get there. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm going to help my kids transfer when they want to leave. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to bring in guys that, that want to play for us and that fit. I believe it was Gary. You might've said this to Gary Parrish recently, where it goes back to that point, my roster size, I may not, you know, try to fill a roster to 13 anymore. It's like, what's the point? Let me just leave it at 10 or 11. So I think the one, the one item you brought up to him was I'm, I'm probably just going to recruit fewer high school players. You know, maybe it's like half the amount. So you're saying the philosophy or, or a good philosophy moving forward may be, let me just keep the roster. The roster size almost has to be a little smaller, so to speak. Yeah, maybe. I think we'll recruit fewer players. I think the really big schools have got a huge advantage. If you're a smaller private school, you don't have a ton of majors. Um, and you, you know, you got guys that are going to transfer in. You don't have the same. It's not as easy to transfer to some of those smaller private schools. I mean, Auburn is a, is a great state school, but we're not as big as a lot of these large state schools. And those large state schools can't can take anybody because I got lots of places, lots of majors, lots of ways to transfer those credits in. Uh, you take a top 25 high school player, his freshman year, won't be any his ability his experience his size his strength his ability won't be any better than a, than a really good junior who's been there for three or four years who's older stronger that's why when you get in the NCAA tournament you get all these mid-major teams that have got older kids that have been there that's why Loyola the Loyola Illinois matchup last year Illinois won the Big Ten but Loyola was an old team with guys that have been there for years and they were able to win that game because of that experience. So there's going to be a turnaround in that right now. And, and, and uh, I do think that uh, you're going to see really good high school players winding up in mid-major basketball early in their careers. And you're going to want, you're going to want to see them staying there for a year or two uh, because they're going to want to transfer up to the larger conference schools. That, that's just, that's the way I would see it. 
But, all right. So endorsements, NIL. Have you tried Bo Nix's uh, sweet tea since he started endorsing it? <laughs> you know, yeah. Or Bo Jangles, right? Chicken. Um, you know, I, I know this. Um, it, it, that's a new world, too. Uh, it's, it's funny because there are so many things that we're held accountable for. Um, but we can't, we're not allowed to be involved in that in any way, shape or form. I'm not even like if, if something were announced about one of our players, I can't even retweet it because I can't support it or I can't be involved in it. And yet we're all going to wind up getting graded on, 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 you know, where you are with the NIL, you know, um, you know, Alabama's quarterback coach Saban said it himself is what is he, what, he put a number on it. What is a million dollars? Um, well, the Alabama quarterback is going to be able to make a lot more, it looks like, than most other quarterbacks. Well, I guess that's the American way because Nick Saban makes more money than anybody else coaching. You know, but the NCAA for years tried to, you know, level the playing field. Um, I don't see how that necessarily happens as we move forward. I'm glad for the student athletes to be able to take advantage of their own name, image, and likeness and to be able to benefit from their worth. Uh, that's, again, one of the things that makes this country great. Um, but again, it's going to change the way we're doing business It's going to change recruiting. Um, and so while I, you know, support it, um, I can't touch it. I can't be involved in it. I can't, I, we, all we can do is educate our student athletes and they themselves have got to go out there, um, hire their own representation, uh, representation and, and see if they can benefit from the new legislation. Coach, do, do, do you and your closest coaching peers, former players, I mean, this summer in particular, have you guys just had conversations where you're like, man, this, there is so much, there is a lot, there's, there's changes that, how are we doing? What do you think? What, I mean, like, what are the conversations been like with, with your peers, your former players as it relates to, you know, the, the, the seismic changes that we just referenced? I just think we just, we, we don't really know, you know, where it's going to go. We don't know where it's going to land. Uh, we'll see football play in it in the arena first um you know uh at here at auburn suny lee uh the olympic all-around gold medalist is coming to auburn you know without nil could she really have afforded to be able to go to college and miss out on all the opportunities that she the answer is she probably would not have been able to now she can do both so i think there's a there are some positive things about it um in basketball you'll you know you look you you watch for the leaders and the top 10 programs, the elite programs to be able to, they're probably going to wind up, their kids are probably going to wind up benefiting most. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll just have to see. And have, uh, much of the conversation with coaches is really the unknown. How do you find the winners and tough ones? How do you evaluate that and say, we, we want that guy because he's a winner. He's a tough one. He's got that attitude. Well, it's, it's kind of like, you know, Davion Mitchell, um, who uh, won a national championship and is, is uh, got drafted by Sacramento and spent a year here at Auburn. Um, you know, I remember listening to uh, uh, Coach Drew talk about Davion as a champion, and he talked about winning a high school championship, and then he went on and was championships at Baylor. What he left out was, we won a regular season championship with Davion his freshman year. Those regular season championships are hard to win, harder than a tournament championship, I can tell you that right now. Davion, a really, really good freshman year. He got better. He was just a year behind Jared Harper and didn't see himself necessarily playing enough with Jared and, and decided to leave. And I was broke our heart, but, you know, 
Damien, a phenomenal kid, one of the hardest workers. Did you see where he brought his managers to the draft? That's because Javion lived in a GM morning, noon, and night. Um, and um, you talk about a, 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 a great culture addition to Baylor and, and a cultural loss, you know, for Auburn because that he's exactly the kind of kid that we, uh, we would want to have. You know, go find state champions. Sharif Cooper won a state championship. You know, try to find them. Those guys tend to they, – they, they tend to understand the importance of making everybody else better, uh, but not at the expense of themselves um, holding up their end. Those guys don't want to disappoint their teammates. They don't want to disappoint their coaches. They don't want to disappoint their parents. And they don't do it just for themselves. They do it for everybody else around them. And that's one of the things that breeds a champion. All right. I'm going to end this on a lighthearted note, a uh, semi-write-in question from our aforementioned mutual friend, Dane Bradshaw. We're we're throwing it back to your time at Tennessee, where he at one point gave you the nickname, the the Tropicana Assassin. Do you recall this story or this moment featuring, I believe the player was Damian Harris in the locker room after a loss once. And uh, maybe maybe one of the funnier or iconic moments of that season occurred after, you know, this this tough loss. Is it ringing any bells? No, I, 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 I know Dane's <laughs> told that story before, but I think I went DEFCON 5 on the locker room and I think I tossed like some fruit and uh, I think it may have may have grazed uh, one of our players. Uh, I probably could get fired for that now. I, is that consistent with the story? Was there some sort of a, there was some sort of a drive-by fruiting. I would have taken it to Mrs. Doubtfire more yes. than I would have taken it, you know, to the a tropical assassin. Yes, right. In the, in the case of Robin Williams, that was in, uh, an intentional, uh, uh, you know, assault. There it was a drive-by with- fruiting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Did you not tip to help? <laughs> but in this case, as, as Dane recalls, right, you, you kind of, through this this bowl of of oranges, and they all just went straight at this at, at yeah, and, and and boy, the, the young man, the date. young man was not playing. It was not directed <laughs> at him. He just happened to be sitting in close proximity to the fruit. Just caught a little shrapnel. Well, lucky, luckily, it was it was of the citrus variety, which is exactly. much safer. But hey, you're, you're really generous, man, to take some time out to do this. Just a lot of fun. I mean, I, we obviously covered a lot of topics here, a lot of significant stuff, and really yep. enjoyed doing this. I appreciate it, Bruce. Okay, look forward to it. Kevin, happy to do it. I know everything I say, I know everything that I say can and will be used against me. So it was great to be with you, and we'll look forward to seeing you this season. Spoken like a former ESPN analyst. <laughs> well said. I appreciate it. Thank you. Where are you going?